Good afternoon and welcome Louise Buddyfoot to the podcast, the first episode of what is hopefully going to be a long run. Uh, this podcast, the intention of it is uh, to give uh, uh, a platform to people we don't hear often from. So if you look at the world of learning and development, we always see the same thought leaders writing books, presenting on conferences. And what I want to do is sort of find out what the other voices say uh, inside the world of learning and development. So the first voice that I would love to hear is the voice of Louise. Uh, I know her as an L&D professional from uh, our collaboration when she was working at Nielsen. Also now in our own uh, company, we, we do collaborate uh, uh, on a regular basis. So Louise, can you maybe give an introduction yourself? Yeah, thanks very much, Casper. Great idea for a podcast, and I'm uh, very privileged to be your first guest, so thank you for that. Um, I'm Louise Puddyfoot. I'm the director of a small learning and development consultancy called Willow and Puddyfoot um, that I've um, been running that I set up about three years ago. And prior to that, um, I had a background working in corporate learning and development, leading different functions in L&D, and primarily in Nielsen, as you mentioned. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and by the way, that, that profile is one of the reasons I would love to speak to you at, at one of the first, because uh, you have a really nice mix of being inside a corporate environment, I think for a long time. So you worked at Nielsen. Yeah. Maybe 20 odd years, yeah. 20 years, long time, yeah. Um, Now, a couple of years as an independent consultant advising people on how to do better. So, I think you have like a different perspective, which would make uh, the conversation uh, quite interesting. So, so let's start with the first question. So, I I want to sort of tap into your LD journey. So, where did that sort of start? How did you end up in learning and development? Yeah. Yeah, I I love learning and development. I really love developing people. And I think um, I I started out my career actually in more of market research roles. Um, But um, I was always one of those people who kind of dabbled in training and things like that. I was always getting involved in training. And I think I could always see that kind of gap where Um, there were people in the business that didn't have all the knowledge they needed or didn't know what to do. So things weren't happening as well as they could do or people weren't being able to perform as well as they could perform because of that gap. And that gap always frustrated me. So I was always trying to kind of fill those gaps. And then that eventually evolved into, I guess, the career in learning and development that I've now had. Okay. And and so can I ask what kind of education did you have? Was it something that really led up to this or was it something in a different direction? So my education, my degree was in psychology. So um, I was always really interested in how people work, how people think. And I'm still a bit of a psychology geek, to be honest with you. I love anything um, to do with psychology. So that whole field fascinates me. And I think that's kind of what took me into market research and understanding consumer behavior. But then um, I ended up specializing much more in the learning and development side. Okay. So basically what what, what drives you is is your... uh... Yeah, the, the, the people themselves, uh, so the, the need of the people, the, the, the developing people. So that's about it. It's not like bringing a corporate uh, a department to a certain level. It's really the impact you have on, on persons. Is that correct? It's both, actually. So I love the impact you have on people, but I also love that kind of creative problem solving. So I love that kind of the organization has a need. This something needs to work better. 
um, or something new needs to happen and how to make that work better and how to make that happen. That kind of fulfilling that creative problem solving thing is also something that I find personally really stimulating. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. So it's a, a bit of both. Yeah, a bit of both, which is lucky. Huh? I think that's why I like the, the area so much. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, the word blended uh, applies to a lot of situations in learning, but also to a lot of uh, yeah. careers. So, and if, if you look at your career, so so uh, how did you uh, end up uh, from uh, being in a corporate role at Nielsen into the, your current position uh, managing your own company? Yeah. So I was in the corporate role for a long time and I started... Um, at much more of a local level. So I ended up starting out in um, learning and development when the business was reorganizing and we needed to train one team in a product that a different team used to deliver that they'd now have to deliver. And I kind of led that piece of training locally. And then that evolved into um, the business, the UK business um, wanted to set up a graduate trainee scheme. So I took on that project to establish that graduate graduate trainee scheme for the first time we hadn't had one for many years at that time it's a long time ago now um, and roll that out and I did that for that first cohort that first year and then handed it over to other people Um, and I was asked to join again a newly formed global training team initially to work on product training um, of which I had like previous expertise but then that evolved into more of the generic training so I was responsible for things like client service skills training and the instructional design team and um, manager training, leadership training and setting up a coaching practice and, and various things in the in the business. And I think I always had this kind of burning desire in me to set up my own business for many, many years before I did it, actually. Um, and I had the pull, but I didn't have the push because I really enjoyed the roles I had in corporate L&D. And I, had so, I was really fortunate to have so many different opportunities in corporate L&D that I was never bored I was always stimulated but I think I just reached that certain point in life you know as you do um, when I realized that if I don't make the the change now I'm just never gonna there's no more excuses so um, I finally took the plunge and three years ago I did I left and I set up on my own which has been great I'm really happy that I made that decision and no regrets there I think yeah, no regrets. I, I I loved my time in corporate and I'm grateful for it, but it's definitely the right thing now to, to lean on that expertise, but do it my own way now. It's brilliant. Okay. And and uh, with your current company, uh, so uh, can you describe what you do with your yeah. company? So it, it's a small learning and development consultancy and we provide the typical learning and development services, I guess. So sometimes that is learning and development consultancy around maybe reorganizing a learning and development function or implementing pre-generated learning, as as you know, Casper. Um, and sometimes it's around creating and delivering programs, manager programs, leadership development, personal effectiveness programs, sometimes working with companies that um, we're helping them build their own um, product specific, um, their own company specific content, but helping them put that um, together in a, using good L&D techniques. Um, but we tend to work with kind of evolving companies, so companies that are going through change. Sometimes that's big corporates going through change, as many are. Um, and sometimes that's uh, scale up type companies um, that are evolving really quickly and, and need to get the L&D in place as they evolve. Um, but yeah, I love uh, I love change. I love working with evolving companies where things are changing all the time. And I, I think it's really important 
in, in my organization now that we take a very practical approach. So I'd say I'm a very practical person that it's all about um, actually making a difference to behavior. So not the kind of, you know, long programs that then don't deliver any impact, but much more blended, as you say, um, approach where you're really putting practical techniques into place to make sure that change actually happens. Um, that's what seeing that change happen is what makes us happy. But that also means that you not only did you make a shift from working in the corporate world into your own company, you also went from working within a corporate environment to uh, scaling up companies, uh, developing companies. Yeah. Is there and, and is that because there is more? Well, I know that the company you worked for Nielsen, there was never a boring day there because there was a lot of happening. So it's it's not the agility you're you're looking for. But what is it that attracts you in the the, the, the growing companies that makes it more interesting? Yeah, I think um, it's the it's the constant kind of hunger for growth. It's the the, the pace of change is much quicker, um, and I think the mindset of um, being really agile and focused on change is really appealing to me. So being really able to make that impact on companies that are growing really quickly, you can really feel like you make a big difference. Um, and I love that whole kind of journey of things moving really fast. Okay. Because it's uh, sort of funny because I made sort of the reverse journey. That's <laughs> because I started out as a consultant. Uh-huh. Um, but as a consultant, you always have like a temporary impact. And yeah. when I came back to a company where I did a project a year later, I was very often a bit disappointed because what I had in mind when I left was not what I found when I came back. So that's why yeah. I decided to join Easy Generator to really build long term on one thing and sort of create something out of that. Oh, do you think you will have that 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 like that, that lasting impact on your customers? So probably you're a better consultant than I am. So <laughs> I'm sure are. that's not true. <laughs> um, I know exactly what you mean, and I think that can be a frustration sometimes when you can see things that need to happen that won't necessarily happen when you're not there. Um, we try and have longer term relationships with our clients so that gives us the opportunity to keep going in and keep reinforcing things and keep help helping things but I do know what you mean um and yeah that, that is an element of it but I think for me that's overridden by more positives mm. and the fact that I'm growing this business Willow and Puddyfoot as well gives me that satisfaction of you know building the way we're working as a business and, and growing that that piece yeah, also building your own company. Yeah, that, that gives like me that well. that, a lot of is, satisfaction. Yeah, yeah I, I can totally get that. Not to the level of Easy Generator, of course, Casper, but, you know, very small fry compared to Easy Generator. Yeah, so we, our journey is already a bit longer, so uh, <laughs> what is before you? So, um, because I think that is really interesting to dive a bit more into where you're working currently, the companies, uh, the, basically the scaling up companies. Uh, so what do you think is their biggest need if you look at uh, learning and development or developing people so what is the biggest hurdle they they, they face uh, in, in your mind i think the biggest challenge is that pace of change and that ambiguity so often what we hear about is people needing to function effectively in a world that's constantly changing around them so um, how do you equip people to be able to do that well? Um, and partly we cover that in training, but it's also that constant um, evolution of what we're delivering and that constant adaptation to the way they're changing. 
um, that help support them. So that sounds a bit like it's not just uh, a training that you provide to them, but much more also like coaching. So you have to sort of take them by the hand and, 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 and learn them to do it in practice. Is that what I hear? Yeah, it's usually a mixture of both. So there's a mixture of some kind of formal training and a mixture of some coaching alongside it because things are so unique to each individual company and they are changing all the time. Um, and it's a lot of the kind of skills and the learning and development processes and techniques and topics that, that the scaling companies need, I'd say are really similar to a corporate or any organization. But it, I think it is that rate of change and ambiguity um, that makes it challenging. So they're typically hiring really, really fast, for example. So you could be training a manager who has two direct reports one day and 10 the next and 20 not long after. So their need to scale their ability to manage a team is massively accelerated versus probably the manager at a similar level in a corporate environment. So it's been able to equip them with that fast pace of change yeah. that they've got to deal with. Now, that's something I do recognize, of course. Easy Generator also almost doubles every year. So, and especially because I think it's a difference for, between, so if you're a BDR or a sales, you will have more colleagues, but especially in a role of a manager, indeed, uh, so if you don't change from your role, uh, probably responsibility will be twice as big next year because you will just have twice the amount of people. Yeah, so, you can never sit in your laurels and think I've nailed it now. There's always more to learn. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm now at this generator for for uh, for a decade now, and I'm I'm learning every day. I have to say, <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, yeah. and um, so uh, and is is it then for you more interesting to work with with um, the managers in, in in those scaling up companies, or are you also working just with with any employees? We work with both. We pro probably a larger volume of our work is with managers than any, but we do work with both. And I think the, the great thing about working with managers and leaders is, you know, the impact you have on them then gets magnified because of the impact they then have on the organization and their teams. So yeah. um, if there's any ever a place to start, then I'd always start with the leaders and the managers. Okay. And what would be the number one lesson you want to learn to any manager in a changing environment like that? So what is the... the the one thing that you want to, to get across to them? Mm, yeah, interesting. There's so many things. I don't know where to start with the one thing. I think it's um, the place we normally start is really helping them understand themselves. So I think like with most things in life, you need to have self-awareness and understand yourself to then know how to bring your best to any role, particularly management. So, um, you know, knowing your strengths, knowing what you're good at, knowing your tendencies, your styles of working and appreciating that everyone else around you will be different than you. Um, and what that means in terms of how you need to lead, I think is pr probably the most important thing that people need to start with to be successful. Yeah, I, I can I can relate to that. Um, but if you look at companies, so if you look at, for example, at Easy Generator and our, uh, the, a lot of the managers that we have are extremely young. So, for yeah. example, Tom, our CEO, he's now 29, I think. And when he joined, he was like 25. And he's responsible for maybe like 50 people in the company. Yeah. So um, if you have, want to want to be a good manager and you actually need to know yourself as you described and, and to be really self-assured there. It also you, requires some maturity. Is, is that like a contradiction with the scaling up companies like Easy Generator really having really young uh, 
talented uh, managers, but not really experienced in life. Is that a disadvantage in your mind or is that something that uh, that's not like a rule? Yeah, to me, it depends on the person. So, I mean, Tom is amazing. He's an extremely capable, brilliant um, leader. So absolutely, um, you know, he's, his self-awareness and all those things we've talked about is really, le- those levels are really high and you have some great people at Easy Generator um, generally. Um, I, I think it depends on the person. I think not wishing to overly stereotype, but the good thing about having young managers is that they will learn their ways of working in this style, in this organization, potentially more easily than somebody who has spent a long time doing things differently. And it's much harder to adapt. Um, not that I want to write off anyone older because many people can adapt. Um, Thank you. <laughs> you and me <laughs> included, hopefully. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, that can be one of the advantages of having young leaders is that they're much more adaptable and much more willing to kind of learn the way um, that you need. Okay. But it depends on the individual, I think, really. And having they need to have an open mind. But it's never too young to become self-aware and, and learn um, to understand yourself and your impacts on people. Yeah. It should be taught at school, mean, I it's, reckon. It's, some, it's, it's a big attention point for companies uh, scaling up that they sort of look at uh, sort of the personal side of the managers, how they develop as a person, because that will reflect in how they will behave and act as a manager. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that if I look at some companies that are sometimes sort of forgotten, the focus is so much on growth and revenue and things like that, that uh, the people element can be easily forgotten. Because if I would say what is the biggest success of Easy Generator, it probably wouldn't be the, the product or the growth, but it is indeed the team that you build, the people that you have. I think that is sort of what, what, uh, where, yeah, where the actual value of the company is and what will bring you forward. So, uh, yeah, I think that's really true. I really see that in my interactions with Easy Generator that the people are outstanding, and when I work with your clients. I frequently hear that reflected back in how impressed they are with the support that they get from the people. So I, I think, yeah, you can't underestimate the impact that has totally. Yeah, 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 correct. Okay. So, and if you look at, at, at those scaling up companies, so um, so managing uh, the basically the the, the, the the personal growth of people, making sure that they are, they're well-balanced human beings so they can actually be happy and work in a, in a good way is, is one thing. Would there be a second attention point for companies like, uh, like that, growing that fast? Yeah, maybe slightly outside of L&D, but I think the fast pace of hiring is usually the biggest um, tension point from a people perspective. Um, so that that sits more in um, the hire on the hiring side of the business, but I think that leans then into how do you set people up for success quickly? How do you onboard them quickly? How do you share knowledge quickly? Um, and having all those right systems in place to support people, you're going to have constantly new people coming into the business. How do you make sure the knowledge is out there and accessible for them, and that they can get up and running really fast? Okay. And and uh, if there would be a lesson for larger corporates like Nielsen or any other big company that they can learn from uh, uh, smaller companies that are growing. So what would be the one thing uh, there for you to tell them? For me, I think it is about being nimble. So I think the, the big challenge if you work in L&D in a corporate is being able to be nimble or agile, to use an overused word, um, enough. I think... It's tough in corporate L&D because I think there's two challenges to to being nimble. There's 
even the pace of change in corporate has get, is getting quicker and quicker all, all of the time. But the kind of processes and structures behind it and the traditions behind it are much more slow moving. Um, so how do you kind of shift that mindset into the mindset that a scale up might have where they're willing to constantly change and readapt all the time? I think the days are gone, really, of, you know, you can plan out your year's plan and sit back and think, right, we're just implementing this and then we'll take another look in a year's time. You just have to be much more nimble, nimble than that these days. Um, and I think the other thing is the tech. So I see, um, I look work, work a lot with tech scale-ups, I suppose so I would see this, but, um, you know, they're very tech savvy and they embrace new tech and make the most of new tech. And I think, again, it's hard in corporate L&D to keep up with the tech, the, you know, the tech that we're all using in our everyday lives evolves constantly and people have an expectation of the same level in their learning and being able to deliver that is a tough challenge, I think, for corporate L&D. Hmm, okay. So, but, but indeed, uh, like the word mindset is sort of crucial there. So the, 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 that is also what is the biggest difference between people working in a, in a starting company or a, a, a bigger company, you think? Yeah, I think you do. You can get a different mindset of a type of person um, in each company, I guess. And having that agile mindset, that kind of comfort with ambiguity comfort with change I think it's important actually in both but I think traditionally those people are maybe attracted more to the scale-up organizations than the corporates but actually you need that more and more in corporate okay and um, so if you look at uh, the the world of learning that we're in now but so you sort of uh, fast forward like uh, a few years into the future like five years from now What do you think will be our biggest challenge? Are they the same as we have now or will there be something completely new on the horizon? I, I think the challenges will be similar. I think the challenge of keeping up with tech will always be there now. So if I look at... Um, young people for example i sound so old saying young people don't i but people in their teens and 20s um they do so much on video so they 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 don't type messages to each other they record video messages to each other they look at mini videos on tiktok constantly throughout their day so whereas our default might have been typing um or speaking their default is recording a video and sending it and i think that's going to you know as those people enter the workforce that's bound to have an impact and there'll be more changes that follow this that have an impact so it's just constantly knowing you know how culture is changing and how that impacts learning i think is a challenge um and i think the other one i suppose which i would have probably said this if you'd asked me this question five years ago as well um but is personalization so people's expectations and need to have much more personalized content is still there and again how we experience that in our outside of work lives um you know we we receive a great deal of personalization um, in our personal lives and how things are presented to us and having that expectation of personalization in our learning is there and i don't think it's quite you know, it's still evolving. I don't think it's quite where people want it to be yet. And I think okay. that'll carry on for the next few years. Okay. So the bigger things are not like uh, we're moving from LMSs to LXPs, but again, it's the people with you. Yeah, I suppose it is actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I think my personal opinion, I would say that I'm not an expert is that the LMS's days are numbered. So I, I'm not, I don't feel like you need an LMS to necessarily be successful. I get the point of it, but 
certainly the old traditional LMS, I feel like it's time has probably passed. Um, so I feel like that will likely be upgraded or replaced going forward with a much more personalized experience, which is more like your learner experience platforms or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I totally am uh, with you on that uh, because oh, yeah. I'm like 10 years ago, probably uh, I, I actually delivered a speech in uh, at DevLearn uh, about the death of the corpse LMS. And I think I was a bit ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually happening now. You see more and more companies in it moving more towards learning experience platforms. And the key thing there is that the uh, responsibility shifts from learning department towards the learner more and more, which is also connected to that individual approach that you, of course, uh, mentioned. So, Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. the way to do it. That will be an enabler there. Okay. Yeah, it will. So, that's interesting because, uh, and, and sort of why I wanted to have conversations like this, because if you look at um, a lot of the thought leaders, uh, a lot of the, the writing and thinking is about technology and what technology makes possible. And uh, basically with you, that, that's not the case. It's much more, it is maybe something that, that can help a bit, but it's not like the, the key thing that you're looking at. So that is interesting. So just back to the people. Yeah, like technology is an enabler or a, a building block, but it, it's yeah. not the, the aim, yeah. Yeah, yes. I think that the way that I look at it indeed is that for a long time, technology has been uh, blocking us for doing things because I remember, because I've been learning for a long time, so... When we finally, uh, in the 90s, were able to put uh, uh, a bit more advanced stuff on a CD-ROM, then the internet happened and we need to move online and we didn't have any performance. So we need to drop all the interactivity that we developed as all the, the, the stuff. So that was really like the, always the feeling that we want to do more, but technology is holding us back. I think uh -huh. that we now reach the point that uh, in most countries anyway, uh, the technology is on so, such a high level that we can basically do anything. So it is no longer an issue. So you can do anything. Uh, the connectivity is there. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, so I, I agree with you that that uh, the, the 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 driving power of technology sort of dropped because it's no longer blocking us. It's now basically our mindsets uh, holding us back. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. I like that. Okay, so um, yeah, I uh, also so we need to start wrapping up a, a bit. So uh, I, I have a couple of questions, uh, just uh, more out of curiosity. So, who would be your ultimate learning hero? Hmm, the probably the person I read most frequently is Seth Godin. Um, so I like Seth Godin's work, and I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he. He sends a daily blog and I'm always curious to read his daily blog in my email. And I think it's pretty amazing if somebody can write daily and it still keeps my curiosity going. Um, so that's a good one for me. And, and is there a certain approach or idea behind his writing that, 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 that you really like or is it more... It's a lot of, yeah, it's kind of challenging the culture and challenging the norms of how we do things and thinking about doing things differently that I think appeals to me um, around that. And it's related to learning and development a bit as well. Yeah, so always shifting things up and trying yeah. to steer up and see if there's something underneath that you can improve and take on. Yeah, and it's real bite-sized stuff. So I love that approach that it's um, not feeling like you have to, give thousands of words to get your point across, but a very short, you know, few sentences that can deliver a really meaningful message. Okay. So that's interesting because my next question was, what is the sort of like the most important book uh, 
on learning in your mind something you would advise, but maybe it shouldn't be a book, but just a blog or a video. <laughs> Not yeah. sure there. So what kind of content piece would you recommend uh, to, to people to, to, to check out? Yeah, I would recommend that Seth Godin blog for sure. I think um, if I think about a book, um, it probably won't surprise you that it's a, more of a people one, but um, the book, a book I really like is called The School of Life. Um, it's written by a guy called Elaine de Botton, who's part of the School of Life. And it's kind of a psychological, philosophical kind of book. So it's um, kind of t trying to teach you all those things you never learn in school. I think they call it an emotional education. So um, so something that I believe and that would be reflected in this book is that, you know, you learn all this great stuff at school, all this great academic work, but it doesn't really teach you the skills you need for life or um, the emotional skills that you need. So the school of life is teaching you those things. So it's kind of some stuff around, you know, understanding yourself, your interactions with others, your relationships, and then also what that means from a work point of view. So it kind of feeds into the L&D stuff um, that we do, but it's it's much more around developing people, which I feel is a gap um, in how our, certainly our children are educated. So I'm always keen on understanding how we can get better educated on that side of things. Okay. So that's, I, I haven't heard of that. So I will definitely check that out. Yeah. So people are listening, we will, uh, both the blog and the book, will put that uh, information so you can actually click on it and go to it. So you, hopefully you were willing to share that, Louise. Of course, so, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, finally, last question. So I do hope that this series is sort of bringing itself forward. So I don't want to sort of, pick and choose people uh, I want to pick a few starting points and then take it forward so my next question is who do you think I should talk to next so what is an interesting person to interview according to you yeah well I can tell you a person that I go to when I want um, advice and and expertise around learning and development is somebody that I work with sometimes and consider to be a real genius in the field um, and her name is Diane Law so she's a learning and development consultant for a company called Pepper Mill um, and she just ring, brings a really kind of interesting balance of cognitive psychology and business management in one so I find that she has a like really fresh perspective um, in the way that she looks at things so she'd be good to talk to. Oh, okay, cool. So uh, I will definitely reach out to her and see if she's interested. Yeah. Thank you. And the other side of things that I also want to explore in this uh, uh, in this series is uh, the, the, the the technology side of things a bit more. So next time we will talk to somebody. Uh, his name is Alfred Remitz, and he is the CEO of a company which is sort of. Uh, working on a tool on the five moments of learning needs. So it's a really different perspective, but uh, also an interesting one. So that's uh, the second starting point of this, uh, this series, but I will definitely follow up uh, on your suggestions. Thank you, Louise. Thank you very much for joining this conversation. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm looking forward to actually the next conversation that you introduced and the book. So uh, thank you for that as well. Thank you.